All right. Uh, welcome to the first Wednesday night of 2022. Um, tonight we're going to be going through the first chapter of the book of Ruth. Um, so pretty excited about that. Another book that we haven't covered on Wednesday nights. Um, so welcome to those of you who have never been here before. Uh, welcome to those of you who have never tuned in at home. Uh, great to have all of you here with us tonight. Part of what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, I want to give us just a brief, ever so brief reminder of what uh, judges looked like because Ruth opens um, in the days when the judges ruled. So I think it'd be helpful for us to just a brief reminder of that. Then um, we'll go through kind of the, thank you, the usual context stuff, um, themes about Ruth, and then we'll get into, get into chapter one. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight grateful for a warm, dry place to gather, thankful for your word to us and for your desire to communicate to us, and we just pray that we would be open open and receptive to who you are and who you call us to be as followers of you in this covenantal relationship. Be with our time tonight and also be with our discussion that it would be a time of enjoyment and fruitful growth, not only in you but in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we're, gonna, uh, we're starting in the book of Ruth. We're going to go through Ruth the next four weeks. Um, and Ruth opens uh, in verse 1, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So um, we're not going to spend a ton of time because we just went through all the bo- whole book of Judges. We spent all fall going through the book of Judges. It was horrific. Um, just calling it like it is. It wasn't a great time. Uh, so if you remember back, during, we don't know when this is taking place within the book of Judges. We just know it's taking place during the time of Judges. What we're going to see is some very interesting contrasting of what we saw in the book of Judges and what's taking place in uh, the events of these few characters. It, one of the things that we, we talked about or we wrestled with is were all the people really all that bad? So, you know, everyone did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So is everyone really that bad in the book of Judges? The book of Ruth gives us a probably not. It gives us a more uh, focused look at some people that were actually doing a lot of the right things. And so it's this breath of fresh air that we were missing throughout a lot of the book of Judges. So as we look at timing, we say, well, when is Ruth written? Well, we don't really know when Ruth was written. We certainly don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who wrote the book of Ruth. Because the story of Ruth is what's of utmost importance. Now, when we look historically at the transcripts around the book of Ruth, 
we have some very ancient transcripts of Ruth in some of the most ancient Hebrew. And we have some recent, and by recent I mean old, super old, transcripts of the book of Ruth. And there is almost no change from the most early Qumran scrolls of Ruth throughout all of the translations, all of the Hebrew manuscripts that are about Ruth, the variation is extremely small. So we know that the veracity or the uh, accuracy of the translation of Ruth is extremely good. And that's when we talk about how do we know that the Bible is true and all these things. That's one of the main things we look at is, okay, if we've got 50 manuscripts of the book of Ruth and Number one has, says this, and that we say that's the original. And then in number two, we have three variations from number one. And then by the time we get to number 30, we've got 50 variations from number one. We see the book of Ruth changing, and then we start to become skeptical around the authenticity of these manuscripts, which we don't have that in Ruth at all. So, the nation of Israel during the time of Judges had countless decades where they were just doing all of these horrendous things, doing what was ever, whatever they wanted in the sight of their own, was right in their own eyes, not worshiping Yahweh, not remaining faithful uh, to the covenant that they were in. And so out of that landscape, out of that picture, um, we get this this focus book of Ruth. So again, we don't know exactly when this is taking place. We know it's in the book of Judges. Part of that is also we know that it's occurring before the Davidic monarchy. We conclude Ruth with this uh, genealogy to look ahead to the Davidic monarchy. And part of that is, is Ruth here to, to springboard us forward to understanding who David is, when we look at Ruth within the, the overall canon of Scripture, where it fits uh, within how the book is placed within the overall structure of the Bible. You know, so we have like Judges and then Ruth. Well, it's there because it fits quite perfectly. And it leads us into um, Samuel, more than likely uh, most people would say that Samuel wrote Ruth. Again, doesn't really matter. For those of you who have never been here before, it's not all this boring. We just had to give you some boring stuff, so you're like, oh, okay, this is getting better. Um, so one thing I like to do um, before we get into a book, and anytime I read a book, is... What is a one-sentence statement that would characterize the entirety of the book of Ruth? So, if we were to say, what is the thesis statement, or what is the theme of the book of, the, of Ruth? This is what I, I wrote down. The book of Ruth illustrates the steadfast love of God to his people, and to foreigners, and in turn, the tangible living out of that steadfast love by his people towards others. 
So I'm very cognizant that if I were to, say, have too much static electricity, we probably need to have a fire extinguisher available. <laughs> Literally, you could hear the needles falling off of this tree. <laughs> so the book of Ruth illustrates the steadfast love of God to his people and foreigners, and in turn, the tangible living out of that steadfast love uh, towards one another. So that's kind of the theme that, that I have picked up on um, as we look at this book of Ruth. Uh, some themes, two of the main themes that we're going to be talking about um, throughout the book of Ruth. Number one is the importance of covenantal commitments. So covenantal relationships and, and what does it look like to live out those covenant relationships. Um, and then part of, part of that is this concept of uh, chesed. It's a Hebrew word and and it is probably the, the number one theme of the book of Ruth is this concept of chesed. And I know it's a hard, it's a hard H at the beginning because that's how Hebrew functions. Um, so one of the most frequent ways that chesed is translated into the English is steadfast love. Part of it is that doesn't fully encapsulate what chesed is. Um, it is a characteristic of who God is. And I think, that, um, I think that this commentator gets at what we're talking about or understanding um, what it means. It is a covenant term wrapping up in itself all of the positive attributes of God. Love. Covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. <laughs> In short, it refers to acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. So as we talk about the steadfast love of God, or this idea of chesed, it, it encapsulates all of these things about the nature of God. And so within that, part of what we're going to be looking at is God's covenant faithfulness to his people. And then as those people experience that covenant love and faithfulness, they are to then live that out into their relationships. So as we look at Ruth and Naomi and all of these other people, they are experiencing God's chesed, his steadfast love, and then they are to live it out um, through their daily relationships. And so that is, that is one of the key themes of the book of Ruth. So if you have any questions at any time, you just raise your hand and you just shout it out or you just shout it out because I didn't see your hand. So totally welcome, accepted, all of those things. So here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we get this opening introduction that is very generic. Now, what's one thing that comes to mind right out of the gate? 
a theme that we talked about at the end of the book of Judges. A, a man, yes, his, his offspring, more specifically, what are they doing? They're sojourning, and they're from Bethlehem. So we can immediately see this direct correlation. So if we've just been reading through the book of Judges, and we've heard about the Levite who's sojourning, and then we start into Ruth, and we're like, oh, this sounds very familiar. Also, what is of great irony, which we're not there yet, so we got it. we'll get there in a second. So we get this man and his wife and his kids are sojourning, and they're from Bethlehem. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. He's a very relaxed guy. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the hill country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilon died, so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. So, we have the situation, we have this scenario being laid out before us. There's a crisis in Bethlehem, and that crisis is a lack of bread, which is terribly ironic because, as we talked about last time, Bethlehem means house of bread. Bait means house. Lechem means bread. House of bread, there's no bread. I mean, come on, that's kind of funny. Like, as we... Like the, reader, the writer is like, hey, I got this Hebrew joke. There was a famine and there was no bread in the house where there was supposed to be bread. The challenging part as we look at this story is they have left, okay, they have left the nation of Israel. They have left, Moab, they have left Bethlehem and they have gone to a foreign country. They've gone to Moab. We know Moab is outside of the promised land. Now, God promised them, okay, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy 28, specifically, he said, if you do not obey my commands and follow the covenant that I have placed before you, I will bring a drought to your land. Drought brings famine. Famine brings crisis. So we have this interesting idea that, that God promised them within their covenant, if you do this, then I'm going to provide you with this uh, punishment or this discipline. Okay, We know from the book of Judges they didn't follow the covenant. God says, okay, I promised you that I would do this. They've done this. And rather than Naomi and Elimelech repenting and calling the people to repentance, at which time God would relent and he would bring about rain and he would bring his people back into restoration, what do they do? They leave. They leave. They're like, 
well, okay, we know it's droughty here, but right over there it's not so droughty. So let's go over there where we can get some food. So our options are repent or to just get our passports and go someplace where God isn't, in theory, because God isn't punishing because they don't worship Yahweh and they have food there. So it creates this interesting question of what is God doing within the book of Ruth, certainly in a causative way, and also how are the people responding to what God is doing? So they take off, they go to Moab, they're there long enough to marry off both of their sons. Things seem to be going well, except until they die. <laughs> it's like everything was going so great, and then they died. Um, so the husband, Elimelech, dies, and then uh, they live there for 10 years, and the two sons die. Now, one thing that we miss in this is within those 10 years of being married, um, both Ruth and Orpah do not produce any offspring. So that's uh, something that we miss uh, in the reading that is clear that, that things, they may be eating, but things aren't going as well as probably they would have hoped for. Also, one thing that often we miss, what do we know about Ruth and Orpah? They're Moabites. And the two sons are Israelites. And the Israelites are to marry Israelites. So they've disobeyed God. They've gone to this foreign country because they're unwilling to repent and receive his blessing. And then they double down on their disobedience and they marry off their sons to foreign wives. Double no-no. You would think the story would end, but it's just getting started. Then she, this is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law and re to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his, visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So part of what we have in the book of Ruth is this interesting conversation around uh, what exactly is the book of Ruth? What type of book is the book of Ruth? And for some people, we're just like, I don't care. <laughs> totally fine. For other people, they want to get into the nitty-gritty of the biblical criticism and, and what's going on here, and is, what, is this a short story? Is this, is this a, a novella? What, what's going on here? 
I think in some ways it's a lot like a Hallmark movie when we compare it to Judges. It's like lost love and broken hearts and restoration at the end, and we're all happy. We even have babies at the end, I guess. I don't, never, don't watch Hallmark movies, so I don't even know. They have babies in Hallmark movies. Sounds like a lot of pain and suffering in a Hallmark movie to have a baby. Do they have babies in Hallmark movies? Amy's the expert. I'd ask Tom, but he's not here. So we have, these, we have these four acts, and we have a lot of dialogue. And the dialogue plays a key role in who is talking, who they're talking to, and what they are trying to do, and what the, what the narrator is trying to do. And one of the most fascinating things about the book of Ruth is, as Amy Bird talks about in her book, uh, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, is so many people want to say, well, the Bible is just this patriarchal document, and it, it devalues women, and all of these things. And it's like, well, if this was to be a patriarchal book, this book, the story about Ruth, it wouldn't be the book of Ruth. At a minimum, it would be the book of Elimelech, except he dies <laughs> in like the first few sentences. It'd more than likely be the book of Boaz. And so we have these key women playing monumental parts in this story. And it clearly communicates that the word of God has a high value and importance of women. And so Naomi is playing this key womanly part, and she gets the first speech. And what's fascinating about the first thing that she says to her daughters-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, she says, go home. But to whose home are they to go to? Their moms. What's striking about that? Remember the concubine? She goes home to her dad. And so now we have a new story, and they're being told to go home to their mom's house, which would be so counterintuitive or countercultural that they would be going home to their mother's house it would be that they'd be going to home to their father's house. And then we get this reference to God's dealing with them, that the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And so, again, Ruth and, and uh, Orpah are, are at this crossroads because they've been married to Naomi's kids, for 10 years, they've had no children. And so in this instance, we know that Naomi is roughly 50-ish. Now, she has no husband. She has no kids. She has no male kids. And so she is in just financial vulnerability to the max. She has no house. She has no income. She has no one to help provide her with income. And so as they're heading back, because she hears that there's food back in their homeland, she's heading back, and she's got these two young women with her. They're probably in their mid to late 20s. And they're coming with. Well, they can provide 
resources for her at a minimum. They can get married and produce grandchildren for her. And she doesn't want to burden them with her life. And so she says, no, no, go back. Go home. It'll be a lot better for you. Because if they were to go home, back to Moab, they're young enough that they could get remarried, they could have children, they have families that would support them. For them, these three women, to head in back into Israel, they are in a very compromised state. And so Naomi says, may God bless you and, and be, done, be done with me. You can be done with me. You can free me to live in this life of, of challenge. Because the challenge, as we know, the nation of Israel is not functioning the way the nation of Israel is to be functioning. If you remember back to the story uh, of the man who's sojourning with his concubine and his slave. No one is inviting them into their home. Hospitality is, is not taking place in the nation of Israel. Everyone's doing whatever they want. And so Naomi is headed back to to a tenuous existence back in Israel, but she knows that's where she's supposed to be and that there's food there. So they have this little moment uh, on the road, and they both say to her, no, we will return with you to your people. It's like, that's what you have to say. (laughs) No, really, you guys just go home. It'll be better for you. No, no. No, really, like we should, you have to say it at least once, hoping that then the person will reject you so you can then feel relinquished from your responsibility of the niceties. And Naomi says, she says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go, go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi makes this, this plea again that they would not come with her. And again, we see these fascinating contrasts. If we weren't reading the book of Judges and the book of Ruth back to back, we would miss out on some very interesting things. Now let's remember back to, um, to the man and his concubine in Judges. And remember, they were at her dad's house, and the dad said, how many nights? Don't leave me. Stay here. Don't leave me. Stay here. Don't leave. Stay here one more night. And now we see in the book of Ruth, the matriarch saying, don't stay with me. Leave me. Go home. See how interesting that parallel is and how that these two uh, stories are fitting together. 
Notice this. Naomi is in extreme grief. And we can't, we don't even want to begin to imagine she has lost her husband. She has lost her two sons. She is in this extreme grief. She has no place to go. And she says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Interesting perspective that we're going to come back to. So Orpah kisses her mother and leaves. But Ruth will not let her go. Naomi says, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from the following or from return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more than if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And we have this incredible look at how Ruth has, has had this connection with her mother-in-law. And you're like, okay, so this is clearly fiction. Totally a joke. Totally a joke. Ruth has had this connection with Naomi, and she is unwilling to leave her. And and unfortunately, because this is written the way that it's written in narrative form, we miss out on this brief soliloquy that, that Ruth speaks to Naomi in these these parallel couplets that, that really should be broken out into uh, Hebrew poetry. And Block does it for us. And so um, I'm just going to read this again, these, these couplets of uh, parallel poetry. She says, this is Block's interpretation of the Hebrew text. If you want me to read the Hebrew text, I'm not going to. Do not pressure me to leave you to turn back from behind you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I shall be buried. And then this is Ruth. This is the Moabite, saying this, Thus may Yahweh do to me, and thus may he add, Surely nothing but death will separate me and you. And we have this fascinating countercultural look at how this foreigner, Ruth, has made this intimate connection with 
Naomi, who's this Israelite, to the point where she is swearing under Yahweh into this covenantal relationship that she wants to have with her mother-in-law. And she says, I will be loyal to you. I will express this steadfast love, chesed, covenantal relationship with you until the day that we are departed in death. And she has had this complete change of heart around who God is, his role, and she has come completely within, into this Israelite existence, even though she is a Moabite or a foreigner. And one of the fascinating things that, that we ask ourselves as we read this text and we're going to continue to ask it throughout the time that we have this month in January, is what does the book of Ruth tell us about how we are to intersect or interact with foreigners who are not of the same faith that we are? So we have to understand who Ruth is. Again, she's a foreigner. She is a non-follower of Yahweh. Naomi has this encounter with her, and, and yes, the marriage of, the, of uh, Ruth to, to Naomi's son was, was not approved of by God. We acknowledge that because he doesn't want them to intermarry. But now she has intermarried and she's in this place and she has this commitment to Naomi. And it causes me to think, what is God trying to communicate through the book of Ruth to me about how we or I am to relate to people of foreign nationality or those that I encounter at the beginning who have no acknowledgement of who God is. Because we know that the Moabites would have worshipped other gods, small g, small g, other gods. But we see here after 10 years, Ruth is making a vow to her mother-in-law under the name of Yahweh. So clearly she has had uh, this change of her faith. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So we, we could do a, a, a shallow dive, not a super deep dive, into the meanings of these names that these people have. Um, but we're not going to. Other than the fact that Naomi changes her name, 
She wants to change her name from gentleness, sweetness, that's what Naomi means in Hebrew, to this word bitterness. But notice what happens. So they've been gone for at least 10 years. They roll back into Bethlehem. Naomi has no husband. She has no sons. She has a foreign woman with her. And the narrator tells us that the people notice her. And they were stirred up. And there's this fascinating question around what does it mean, what does this Hebrew word stirred up mean as we try to translate and understand what's happening within this small village of Bethlehem. And I want so much for this to be a positive thing. Like, the ladies saw Naomi coming, and they were so excited that she had finally come home. If I were to write an inappropriate commentary on the book of Ruth, that's what it would say. Because it would be wrong. Because more than likely, the consensus is this stirring up among the local women is not positive. There is some angst. There is some hard feelings. There is not hospitality. There is not welcomeness. There is not grand celebration. There is not joy at the return of Naomi from the foreign land. Part of it is, certainly, she's bringing a foreigner back with her. And I understand we could get into some serious conversations about this. But let's just take for a moment... You were living in a small town, or I was living, one of us was living, a hypothetical person was living in a small town. Let's say War Road. Close to the border, there's a famine in War Road. And so somebody heads north, because there's bounty of bagged milk in Canada, and more grain than they could ever eat. No contact for 10 years, and they decide it's time to go back. So they roll back into town with a Canadian. Outrage! How dare you bring this Canadian into our town? Okay, that doesn't work as well. Okay, what if we were living in, like, Elephant Butte, New Mexico? <laughs> You get the idea, right? The women of, the, of Bethlehem are so offended by Naomi bringing a foreign woman into their midst. This is a problem for the nation of Israel because we know throughout the Old Testament, they are instructed to care for and to love and to provide hospitality for the sojourner, for the foreigner, for the other person, and, and that's not happening. And that's a problem for the people of God who look down their noses 
at these foreign individuals. And yet, we know that Ruth is making a change and coming to a lasting faith in who God is. She's just made this big speech and this big commitment to Yahweh and to her mother-in-law. But Naomi is in a much different place. Because she says, I went away full, which is a bit of an ironic statement. You don't flee your homeland if you're full. Remember, there's a famine in the house of bread. So it's a bit of a play on words here that she is full. She wasn't full, but her heart, seemingly, she felt like her life was full because of the relationships that she had. And now she is, in fact, bitter. And who is responsible for this? The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Has he? This becomes a very interesting question that we have to wrestle with. Is she is she is in a place of despair and grief. We can acknowledge that. The challenge is she is making theological conclusions that aren't necessarily accurate and certainly aren't helpful. How often is it the case that we do something and we say, God, why did you do this to me? I mean, again, hypothetically speaking, if, if a fellow truck driver, truck owner and I were to head out on a Gull Lake on Sunday afternoon for some ice fishing, say like on the north side of Gull, because we thought, oh, it's safe and plenty thick here. The next thing we know, we're calling Turner Towing because both of our trucks in the lake. And we get out and we say, God, why did you do this to us? The congregation would say, God didn't do that. You're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically speaking. Or, I'm sorry, you made a poor decision. <laughs> We have this psychological problem where we have a hard time taking responsibility for our actions, and it's very easy for us to scapegoat God for the things that happen in our life that are bad, but when the things that happen in our life are good, we're like, yeah. Why is it that we come to this, or... Naomi comes to this conclusion, God did this to me. We don't know that God did this to her. What we know is that God had laid out a clear covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, and he said, these are the blessings and these are the curses that occur with this covenant, and if you choose to go outside of this covenant, there will be curses that are that are famine, that are drought, that are these things. 
If you choose to marry your children to foreigners, that's a problem. So Elimelech and Naomi are disobedient to God. They go and do all these other things in disobedience to God. And then when they have crisis, Naomi says, God did this to me. It's God's fault that I'm bitter. But why? Why is it that we jump to the conclusion that God is doing bad things to us? When we're the ones that are making the poor decisions. <laughs> when God clearly instructs us how we are to live, and then we choose to live outside of those instructions, and we experience negative things, we say, God, why'd you do this to me? And he says, I didn't do that to you. You chose to make decisions that, that led to these consequences. And so we wrestle with this theology of, of God bringing calamity on Naomi when Naomi has made poor choices, and we blame God because we don't want to take responsibility for our own actions. So Naomi returns, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Which is so classic, right? Like, you haven't been around for 10 years, and you show up for dinner. <laughs> you didn't plant any of this barley. You haven't watered any of this barley. Now you're here for harvest. I mean, everyone's got one of those siblings, right? So, now we're going to break up into our discussion groups. For those of you who have not been in a discussion group, uh, come on up here and I will place you in a discussion group. For those of you who have been in a discussion group, you can feel free. We have not changed our discussion group locations, uh, so you can head to your discussion groups.